kids. When you announced the birth or the that you were expecting, how did you do it? Yeah, I wasn't going to get them mixed up. How did you do it? What did it look like? Newspaper. Anyone under 30 used a news? Anyone under 30 know what a newspaper is? So, I'm um, old school enough to, to remember how it used to be done. And um, I'm fascinated by the way announcements are being done nowadays. Of course, everything tends to go on social media. Uh, and, and there's even like uh, gender reveals now that are announced to everyone. And, uh, you know, announcements, good news, it's, it's a big deal when, when a new life is coming into the world. But do you know who's older school than me even, apart from maybe Peter? Is God. Okay, God gets a call on that. But, you know, when, when God wanted to announce something big, he didn't just use newspapers or social media. He, he went all out. And on numerous occasions, he used angels. And, of course, the announcement that he had to make about Jesus coming was an announcement like no other. And so he sends to Mary, his top angel, the angel Gabriel. Because Jesus is going to be a baby like no other. Jesus is going to grow up to be a man who claimed to be the only way to the Father. He said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a pretty bold claim. And it's uh, pretty politically incorrect in this day and age. And what right does it give Jesus to say that he is the only way to the Father? What right do Christians have to say that our way is right because that's what Jesus is meaning when he says he's the only way to the Father. There's no middle ground. It's not all roads lead to Rome. It's like Jesus is the way and every other way is the wrong way. Jesus said there's a narrow go gate that leads to life and a broad road that leads to destruction. But, you know, we, we look around and other religions... Uh, make similar claims or, or all sorts of claims. I'll get that right one day. There we go, thank you. So, you know, I'm a tech head and I still can't work this jolly thing. Um, so Moses, uh, Christians and Jews follow Moses and Moses claimed... Uh, and we believe, pointed the way to God. Muhammad claimed to have a revelation from God and claimed to show the way. He said Christians are wrong. Hillel the Elder was a rabbi who died actually when Jesus was just becoming a teenager, so sort of a, a early contemporary of Jesus. And, you know, Jesus wasn't the first person to come up with the golden rule. Others had a version, you know, Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do to yourself. Well, Hillel the Elder had said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. Not quite the same as Jesus, but similar. Confucius, who lived hundreds of years before Jesus in another part of the world, said, what you do not wish 
for yourself, do not do to others. And millions of people still draw inspiration from Confucius's wisdom. Or the Buddha, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. And of course, millions and possibly billions of people through history uh, have followed the Buddha's teachings, believing that they'll find enlightenment through them. So what is it about Jesus? Jesus doesn't have a monopoly on good advice. What is it about Jesus that he gets to make the claim that he's the only way? Then people point to history and say, well, look at what Jesus' followers have done. Jesus himself might have been okay, but look at the religion that he gave birth to. And they'll point to things like the Crusades, uh, where you know terrible atrocities, particularly in the later Crusades, were, were committed. Innocent people died. Uh, an army of children was sent off and, and died. Uh, they, the Christians from the West ransacked the, the Christian city of Byzantium at one stage. It just got out of control. How can we say that Jesus' way is superior? Or the Spanish Inquisition where they say up to 5,000 so-called heretics were burned at the stake. And around that time, the, the Spanish discovered the New World and basically obliterated civilizations and uh, introduced diseases that wiped out millions of people. How can we say under those sorts of circumstances that the way of Jesus is superior? Now, I can't leave that, that point there. We, we have to you know, also point out that often critics completely ignore the, the amazing things that Christians have done in Jesus' name. In fact, these things, I would argue, weren't Christian things at all. They go against Jesus' teaching. You can hardly call something Christian when it's like Jesus says, don't do that, and then you do it. But, you know, uh, the Christian West, it was out of Christianity that things we take for granted today were birthed. Do you know that modern science arose because of a Christian worldview. The first, what we would call modern, modern scientists, thought that this was a form of a way to worship God by studying his creation. The first hospitals, the first universities, all arose with a Christian impetus. We have people in this church who have done, done amazing things, gone to serve overseas, involved in, in youth work, do community activities to try and make the world a better place, inspired by their faith. So, as Christians, we have to say, oh, wait on, it's, it's, it, that's not the whole story. But the reality is, people have done these things in Jesus' name. And critics can look at them and say, well, what makes the way of Jesus superior to other ways? Maybe your struggle with Christianity is a little bit more personal. Because Jesus said some really hard things. Even if you're convinced that his way is superior, it's really hard following Jesus. You know, Jesus said, love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. I mean, who found, finds that easy? Jesus said things like, if you're not married, keep your flies zipped. In fact, he said, don't, don't even fantasize it about it. I'm like, well, we're doomed. <laughs> Good thing there's grace, isn't there? 
you tell people that you're a Christian and they look at you like you've got two heads. Try being a pastor. People ask me what I do. That's a real conversation stopper. So what is it about Jesus that makes his way superior? How can we say that this baby that we're celebrating 2,000 years ago is still the best way? In fact, people will look at Christianity with our outdated social mores and actually, ironically, say, well, you're repressing people's sexual identity and sexual expression. In Christianity, not just is it outdated, they will say it is bad. Bad for society, bad for people. And yet we look and say, no, this, this, this baby is a baby like no other. This is the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And of course, the answer to that question, why Jesus, why is Jesus superior to other leaders, religious leaders? Why is, is the way of Jesus, the truth, superior to other ways? Why is it worth following Jesus when it is so jolly hard to do so? Isn't because of what Jesus taught. Although, despite what I said about the golden rule, of course, as you read those, they're all framed negatively. You don't actually have to do anything. It's just, just don't cruel, treat other people cruelly. Jesus says, actually, treat them well, even your enemies. But it's not even that that makes Jesus superior. It's who Jesus was. And in our reading today, we see in verse 26, the archangel comes and says to Mary, hey, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Interestingly, Mary immediately like, well, just points out a little, little bit of a hiccup here. Um, your lordship, uh, I'm a virgin. Now, Mary was probably very young, uh, 13 or 14, maybe 15, scholars think. That was just the marrying age for women in that day and age. But I don't think she was ignorant. I think Mary probably had a bit of a way that the world worked. And do you know what? There's a really easy way to fix virginity. I think Mary knew about it. Plus, she was about to get married. So it was about to fix itself. But do you know what? The angel doesn't say, no, that, it's all, all, all going to work out. Uh, you know, he, he says something different. The angel, perhaps it was this angel, we don't know, had made announcements to other people who had trouble falling pregnant. But in all of those cases, it was like God had fixed whatever the problem was and they uh, fell pregnant naturally, naturally conceived, normal babies. But this baby was going to be different. The angel replied in verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Something different was happening here. Mary was going to be Jesus' mother, but he wasn't going to have a biological father. What the angel is implying here is that God is going to work a creative miracle in Mary. In fact, some people see Jesus, and, and uh, the Bible uses this language, of, as a second Adam, as God created 
the first Adam out of the dust of the earth as a, a special act of creation. He creates the second Adam with human biology, but also as a divine act. The rest of the Bible backs this up as well. This isn't just something Luke makes up. In fact, John loved telling stories of how Jesus would throw the religious leaders into conniptions with his claims to be divine, to be God. Just a couple. John 8, 58. Uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are arguing with, with Jesus and they're like, hey, how do you get to tell us what to do? You're not the boss of me. And he says, no, before Abraham was, I am. Now, the religious leaders, being religious, knew their Bible. And they knew that when Jesus is saying, before Abraham was, I am, he's doing two things. One, he is claiming to have been around before he was born. But two, I am was the name God used of himself. Jesus is claiming to be God. They knew that. And John tells us they picked up stones to throw at him. Uh, Jesus slipped away into the crowd. Another time, I and the Father are one, he tells them. Quite a bold claim. And again, you can try to spiritualize it and say it's a metaphor or whatever. But no, Jesus was saying something deeper than just I have some spiritual unity. I and the Father am one. I am divine. And that is how the religious leaders heard it because that time they sent him to the cross along with a little help from the Gentiles. We don't get to pin it all on the Jews. People, uh, the, the Jews were expecting a son of God when, when the angel Gabriel said, Jesus would be called the Son of God. The Jews had been expecting that. In fact, their, their longed-for Messiah they referred to as the Son of God. But they, they meant that in a sort of symbolic way. Uh, this Messiah would have a special relationship with God and uh, have be given special power. But when the angel announced it and when Scripture talks about it and when Jesus talks about it himself, he was talking about something different. He wasn't just a special person in being called the Son of God. It wasn't just a favoured status. He actually was divine. As John says at the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and when he talks about the Word, he's talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus could make claims that no one else could make he could make a superior claim to being the way, the truth, and the life. We can claim that the way of following Jesus is a superior way. And we can say, hey, it's actually worth it, despite how hard it is, because Jesus is different. Other religious leaders could only point to the way or a way. For some, it was, was the way of God. For Moses, of course, we believe he had that right. Muhammad, probably not so much. Uh, Confucius didn't even point to a way of salvation. It was just a way of life. But none of them made claims to be the way. They only claimed to point to the way. Jesus, on the other hand, 
claims to be the way to God. And because as the God-man, as a divine human, because the Bible says he was fully human as well as being truly God, he could bridge the gap between humanity and God. He could literally be the way to be saved. And because he is who he says he is, he can inspire us in ways that other religious leaders don't. Now, I don't want to say, you know, that, that other religions don't do any good. Far from it. Uh, other, other philosophies, other beliefs have done amazing things. But the difference between other philosophies that inspire and Jesus who inspires is that Jesus does more than just give us good ideas, inspirational thoughts and go off and do it. Of course, Jesus was born, he died and he rose again for us. No other religious leader has done that. Other religious leaders, by the way, were not religious, uh, political leaders more made claims to be the son of God. The pharaohs claimed to be God-men. Some of the Caesars claimed to be that, but none of them did the miracles Jesus did. None of them were able to rescue us. None came back to life. And none, and here's the really unique and powerful thing that Jesus does, none were able to change the human heart. The problem with philosophies and ideas and teaching is, is they give us a way to live life, but they don't really give us the ability to leave life, live life. But Jesus said when he ascended to heaven, he was going to pour out his spirit. And through his spirit, Jesus is present with us and among us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've said yes to him, then he is present in you by his Holy Spirit. And he doesn't just inspire you to a better way of life. He gives you the power to live that life. He gives you a new heart. Just a, a, a simple one, the fruit of the Spirit. And we could go to many passages that talk about this transformation. But Paul, writing to the Galatian church uh, in what's sort of central southern Turkey today. But the fruit of the Spirit. So this is, the fruit of the Spirit is what the Spirit produces within the human heart when he's given free reign is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Not a comprehensive list. You go to other parts of the Bible and it will talk about other virtues as well. Other religions can talk about these virtues. They can say they're good things to follow. They can, they can tell you what they are, but they can't actually give you the power to live them out, to make them a reality in your life, in your relationships, in your workplaces, in your families, and in our world. Jesus was a man like no other because he wasn't just a man. He was also God. He's a Lord like no other. You don't necessarily pick this up when you're reading your New Testament in English, but very often when it calls Jesus Lord, you look back and you compare that to the Old Testament where it calls God Lord, Yahweh, 
uses the word Lord in, in the name in place of the name Yahweh, God's name. Very often, that's the claim it's making. Not just Jesus is Lord, as in Jesus is the boss or the king, or, but Jesus is God. And he's worth following. Because as God, as Lord, he has a claim on you and on me that no other teacher could make. And that no other teacher does make. Because they're just men, whether they've got good ideas or not. If you are a believer here today, if you have said yes to following Jesus, if you've accepted him into your heart, then this is the reality of the life that God offers you. And maybe you're living that to the full. Maybe you're struggling with it a little bit. But friends, if you've accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit is with you. Jesus is present with you through his Holy Spirit. He wants to, and I would suggest probably is, even though sometimes we fight against it, working out that change in you. As we come to Christmas and we're uh, celebrating Advent, we celebrate the first visit of Jesus and we're we're looking forward to the second visit, as uh, Richard put it so well. I want to invite you in a moment to renew that commitment and ask the Holy Spirit to continue his his transformation and, and to help faith to rise up within you uh, to a greater degree, to let the Holy Spirit change your heart more and more. But if you're here today, and maybe you haven't, you're like, this is a bit weird. I don't know that I have the Holy Spirit in me. I don't know. I haven't pledged my life to Jesus. I haven't said yes to Him being Lord. Then I want to give you an opportunity because this is something you can do. This is something that God wants to make real in your life. Just to, to, to bring it all. To bring, I have to tell you, the difference Jesus made in my life when I let him have full rule and sovereignty over it. Love, joy, peace became real, became experientially real. Now it was like a light switch going on. And you can have that too. Whether you know Jesus and perhaps maybe you've never known that, perhaps you've lost touch with a little bit, or whether you don't, and you're like, well, I want some of that. Because who doesn't want love, joy, peace, patience, all that good stuff? So I want to invite you now, maybe if we would all stand and I'll pray and if you want to join with this in your heart or out loud you're welcome to do that Uh, and so if you know Jesus make this just a a prayer of recommitment an expression of your desire for him and if you don't maybe this is the first time you can say yes I want to follow you Jesus I want you to change my life so father we come this morning Jesus the son of God we come to you and we thank you for who you are and for what you've done, that you're not just a man, but that you are the risen and glorified Saviour. Father, we just have to look at our own lives and our own world and we know that it's not the way you want it to be. Our lives are not the way you want them to be. I know my life isn't the way you want it to be. And Father, we just want to ask for your forgiveness. And we want to ask for your power to change. Let your spirit, let let the spirit of Jesus be at work deeply in our lives to bring about a greater love, more joy, more peace that we pass on to others. We pray that you will save us. Save us from ourselves. Save us from our sins. 
but save us to be your children. In Jesus' name, amen.